Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Tiva, and I'm in a cunty mood today. <laughs> okay, I actually have been in a better mood since I got back to New York, but today, I don't know what's going on. I had a really lovely morning, woke up, walked the dog, came back, did some Wim Hof breath work, did some abs, did some abs with ankle weights on, did some resistance band training, took a shower, got out, had sex with my wonderful boyfriend. We giggled and cuddled in bed um, for hours. And then we got up, We I put on my ankle weights. We walked to the West Village to like one of my favorite grocery stores, I guess, Um they have a lot of great like vegan healthy types of products, yada, yada. It's like a good like health food grocery store. Um, walked there, picked up some shit that we needed, walked back. And then all of a sudden it's like a switch went off in my brain and it was like, oh, it's cunt o'clock. Like it's, it's time for me to act like a nightmare for no reason. Everything's fine. Everything's good. I don't know. I think I'm hormonal. Um, I don't fucking know. I actually, I really do think I'm due for my period somewhat soon. So you're welcome, guys. Um, I don't have much to say today. (laughs) So it might be a short episode. Listen, I'm like super stressed. I'm super, super stressed. It's been go, go, go since we came back. So we left for the airport like not long after recording that episode for you guys. And... um. Flight from Sydney to Dallas went off without a hitch. We land in Dallas. And like as the closer we're getting to landing, the more my anxiety is going off. And I'm just like anxious, anxious. Like I'm like mentally preparing for shit to go down. It's not that long of a layover. You have to do customs and immigration. And then you have to go through TSA again because you get out of like the security area, I guess, when you do customs and immigration. And also, can Can I just take a moment and talk about this? So when you go through customs, like when you enter the U.S., even if it's a layover, it's not your final destination, you have to grab your checked bag because you have to do customs and immigration, right? So I remember I used to do this a lot in Miami because I used to travel a lot to like various islands, right? Like I was like a Caribbean girly. I mean, I worked in policy and there were a lot of conferences that I would go to and a lot of them were in the Caribbean. So like, I remember doing this a lot, right? So you fly back, you grab your bag and they open it and they ask you questions and they look through it because they're trying to make sure you didn't bring like cocaine or some other type of shit into the country, right? There's a purpose to the fact that you grab your checked bag and then you recheck it and then you go on, right? That's always been the case. And then as the years went on, the checking got less and less and less, but they'd still pretend. They'd pretend to care. They'd pull like one out of 20 people over or some shit. There was some semblance of acting as though there was a purpose to what we're doing. But I've done customs in Dallas a few times. So I don't know if it's a Dallas thing or it's like a thing now. You literally grab your suitcase off of the conveyor belt And then you take it to another conveyor belt that's approximately three feet away and you throw it onto that conveyor belt. And that is it. No one even pretends to check your bag. Like, I don't know why we're doing this fucking horse and pony show when we're not even doing anything. Like, if you're going to search my bag, by all means, search my fucking bag. I will stand there. I'll help you. 
I'll help you search my bag. She has nothing to hide. Search my fucking bag. But you know what I don't want to fucking do? I don't want to grab my bag off of one conveyor belt and take it to another conveyor belt and thereby increase the chances of me missing my connecting flight. We're doing nothing here. What is it that you think we're doing? Like, what is the purpose of this fucking show? Because I see none other than risking my ability to make it back to my home in time. Anyway, moving right along. So we did that. And then we go to get into the TSA line and it is long as fucking fuck. And by that, I mean, it is wrapped around twice to enter into the actual line. And so, you know, I'm like doing math. I'm doing time math, which we know is not my strong suit. And I'm like, okay, like we could just barely make it. We could just barely make it. Like there's, and I'm just mentally preparing myself to stay overnight in Dallas. And I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. You know, all the hotels by now, like you have some local friends by now. So it's fine. It'll be fine. We make it through the line where we run to the air tran or whatever the fuck that thing is called, the Skylink, whatever, the train that takes you to the next part of the terminal. Um, we get there, we get to our gate, we have a few minutes to spare, we sit down, we're like, whew, we made it. And then this little lady comes on the announcer thing and she's like, we're going to push boarding back by 20 minutes. Um, Yeah, okay, bye. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're here. It's fine. It's fine. So then a few minutes go by and she's like, okay, I have more information now. Here's the deal. We do not have permission to get in the air for another hour and a half. So we're not going to start boarding yet because even if we did board you, we don't have permission to take off. And it's because LaGuardia was backed up. Now this, this I actually do understand. So I guess there had been like some snow or something earlier in the day in New York. And so the flights that were supposed to land earlier in the day couldn't land. So everyone got pushed back. The whole thing got pushed back. There isn't room to land. I get it. I, I understand. Um, does it make me nervous? Of course it makes me nervous. She has PTSD. Of course it makes me nervous. But I do logically understand what's happening. Um, it all ended up being fine. We got on the airplane. We took off. We landed at LaGuardia. We got a car back to the city. We got to our apartment. Sam came over the next morning. Um, I just like, uh, so I really, really, really tried everything in my power to like get adjusted to the schedule right away. But so we get back to the apartment around midnight. This is like Tuesday night to Wednesday morning, midnight. And and it's like crazy time traveling because when you come back from Australia, you leave and arrive on the same day, but 23 hours go by in between. So it's like literal time travel. Travel, It's so crazy. Whereas like going there, you leave and you arrive two days later in Australia. And given that you just go through like 23 hours of travel, getting there two days later isn't as jarring as like arriving the same day. Again, given there's 23 hours of travel, but that's neither here nor there. Um, 
So we got back. I take my gummies. I get in bed and I'm wide fucking awake. Um, I probably didn't fall asleep till the morning, took a little nap, woke up, threw on my ankle weights, went to the farmer's market, went to Whole Foods, went to actually the same store in the West Village that we went to today. Um, full circle moment, not really, because like literally no one gives a shit. Came back. Um, I don't know what the fuck I did. Probably started. Oh, I came back. I unpacked my entire fucking suitcase. I washed all the produce. I put it away. I, um, took a steam. Ozzy and I took a nice long steam together, um, took a shower, started doing like recipe creation work, like just right off the gate, just like really just dove right into it. I mean, it's fucking nuts. Um, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but like spent all day up, did not sleep in, did not take a nap. I was like, okay, it's going to be great. I'm going to fall asleep tonight. Could not fall asleep. I was, I, I no, I fell asleep at like 10. I woke up at midnight and then I was up till 6 a.m. And at 6 a.m., I was like, okay, I need to make a decision about what I want to do here. And I was like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to be that type of bitch who gets up at 6 a.m. and like goes and fucking works out. So at 6 a.m., under the covers so that I don't wake Ozzy, I buy a one-week introductory package to a reformer Pilates studio. It's a one-week unlimited. Um, you don't make the best decisions at 6 a.m. Now, I believe on last week's episode, I said that I wanted to start doing Pilates reformer. Um, I've been a few times to the studio now. I don't think I'm going to get a longer membership. I don't know. Um, I go to a... Oh, I walk Sam with my ankle weights on, and then I go to a 7.30 Pilates reformer class. I'm like all jazzed about it. Um, I, I will tell you in that class, I was like, not only am I going to come here every day, but I'm going to sign up to be an instructor and I'm going to go through the instructor training and then I'm going to be a Pilates instructor. This is how my brain works before 8 a.m. Apparently I was just making these massive life decisions. I get out. I don't even know what the fuck I do next. And I come back. I, oh, and then I went for an IV. I mean, by the time I went for an IV, I was like, wait, did I go to Pilates this morning or is that some kind of weird fucking dream? Like, I mean, those days are all just a blur. I went to the dentist. I don't even know what the fuck. Like, I don't even know what I was talking about. Um, Yeah, ran errands. I mean, the way I was go, go, go these first few days back, I finally am on a sleep schedule now. Finally, finally. I think that night my body was like, it's either death or sleep. So choose wisely my friend choose wisely anyway um I am back on a good sleep schedule I think um now that we're done with that we have to talk about this Vanderpump rules thing now here's the thing In this day and age, in this economy, I believe there are two types of people right now. The people who have watched Vanderpump Rules and know exactly what's going on and their jaws are just on the floor and you're having to put like anti-chafing lotion on the bottom of your chin so that you don't just scratch the shit out of your chin because you cannot pick your jaw up off the floor, right? There's those of us. And then there are the people who don't watch Vanderpump Rules who I believe are similarly inundated with this news, but just don't really know what's going on, right? I don't think there's a third bucket of people who just haven't heard about this at all. I don't know. Um, 
that being said, um, Ozzy, and if it's your first time listening, um, so sorry, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, Ozzy is my boyfriend. That's not his name. We just call him Ozzy. It's a nickname. Moving right along. Um, Ozzy is actually in that rare third bucket where I think he hadn't heard anything about it. But in all fairness, he's super, super jet lagged. And also he's leaving again on Thursday to go back to Australia. And I feel so, so bad for him. Anyway, he is in that rare third bucket of people who had not heard about this. Moving right along. Um, I do think that third bucket is extremely small. I think like if you're in the second bucket, you have heard something about the words Tom, Ariana, and Raquel right now. So I'm just going to give you a quick summary. So Vanderpump Rules is a reality show on Bravo. It's been on the air for season 10 is airing right now. Um, I've been so excited to come back. It started like it came out beginning of February, but I was in Australia, so I didn't watch it. I think I watched why not? I think I know I watched the first episode over the weekend, but I'm really going to get caught up on all of my Bravo when Ozzy leaves. Now, it's been on the air for 10 seasons. Tom Sandoval has been there since the beginning. He was dating a girl named Kristen for the first few seasons. And then he broke up with Kristen. Him and Kristen broke up. They they were dating for like five years or probably something like that. They had a very toxic relationship. They both cheated on each other um, quite a bit. She did cheat on him with one of his best friends. And he also, while they were dating, had like made out with this girl Ariana who oh by the way what unifies the show is like back in the day they all worked at the same restaurant together which was Lisa Vanderpump's restaurant which is why the show is called Vanderpump Rules anyway you got the picture so after he finds out that Kristen cheated on him with one of his best friends him and Kristen did stay together for a bit but then broke up um, and then he started dating Ariana pretty much immediately. Him and Ariana have been together ever since. They've been together for seven plus years. Now, they would be married, but Ariana is like pretty anti-marriage because like he had talked to her about it a number of times and she's like, no, I did like I don't understand the point. It means nothing to me. It's this like misogynistic yada yada. You get the drill like she's not into marriage. If not for that, they would be married. Like they are full life partners. They bought a house in the burbs together, like a house, a house. They bought like they have a mortgage. They have a 30 year mortgage together. Like they are full life partners. OK, so that's a little bit of background on Tom and Ariana moving right along now. Um. After Tom and Kristen broke up, Kristen started dating this other guy who worked for Lisa Vanderpump named James, James Kennedy. James Kennedy's a bit younger than the rest of the crew. Like the Tom and Ariana and Kristen are like right around 40, probably. James is like probably 30. You know, he's a bit younger. So Kristen dated James for a while. They broke up. Um, eventually, James starts dating this girl, Raquel, who is very, very beautiful, a very beautiful girl. They dated for like five years. Um, they were engaged. And then after the wrap of last season, so they while they were filming the reunion, they filmed the reunion before before like the season stops airing for us but after it starts airing so like 
almost exactly a year ago, I would say. Um, but like probably a little bit less. I don't fucking know. About a year ago, Raquel and James break up. They were engaged. He had proposed to her on season nine. They broke up right like the day before they filmed the season nine reunion. So like at the season nine reunion, she returned the ring. Now a bit about James and Raquel. Raquel is a very, well, Okay, I just want to say, if you're familiar with this story, everything I'm talking about is like pre this story coming out. Raquel came off as like a very, very sweet, very like doe-eyed, very, um, what's the right way to phrase this? Like maybe not like super gifted in like the brain region but like exceptionally pretty very sweet one of those like very like sweet innocent seeming like massive people pleasers James who she was with for all those years like pretty toxic definitely seemed to have some kind of like substance problem um definitely seemed to have a temper and he definitely improved during the time that they were dating but you could tell that she had like codependency issues and people pleasing issues and she constantly was putting his needs before hers like um there were like numerous times that he cheated on her and she's just kind of like I'm gonna turn a blind eye you know um just like a classic doormat situation And it seems like she finally found her voice. She broke up with him. She realized how toxic it was. She probably started following like the millennial therapist or whatever the fuck, you know, you know, the types of Instagram accounts I'm talking about. She's recognizing her codependency issues. She's recognizing her people pleasing issues, yada, yada. Okay, so that kind of sets the stage. Now, I'm not going to bore you with too much other details of what has gone on in the Vanderpump universe because it's not terribly relevant to the story. I just want to jump ahead. On Friday, it came out that Tom and Ariana are breaking up because he cheated with Raquel. Now, I should have added that Raquel, Ariana's always been so kind to Raquel and like Raquel and Ariana were pretty close friends and specifically Ariana really helped Raquel in her breakup with James. So she was like really close with Ariana and they're all friends and they're all castmates on this show together. And apparently Raquel and Tom Sandoval have been fucking for like six, seven months behind Ariana's back. She allegedly found out because Tom Sandoval, who's just the worst, by the way, I've neglected to mention this part of the story that he's just so fucking annoying, but that's neither here nor there. Um, He has this band that I don't even want to talk about anymore other than acknowledging its mere existence. Um, So she was like at one of his shows and his phone fell out of his pocket. So she had it. And I guess she saw this video of Raquel masturbating um, on Tom's phone and then went through their message history and found like filthy, filthy messages and pieced it all together and then like called Raquel and then Raquel told other people on the cast and allegedly, allegedly 
um, Ariana and Raquel's close friend Sheena punched Raquel. I don't know if that's true. Um, also, cameras are up. Like, bro- like they were not even filming right now. And Bravo just like sent cameras out. They were like, holy shit, we need this all on film. So, yeah. So basically, to sum it up, Raquel is close friends with Ariana and Tom, I guess, but she's also been fucking Tom for seven months while being very close friends with Ariana and just lying to her face this entire time. Um, there's a lot of parts of the story that are like so disturbing. Um I have so much to say about this. Oh, also apparently like Raquel and Tom are like secretly in love and they like both wear this like lightning bolt necklace um, as like a symbol of their love to each other, which like literally repulses me. I don't know why I find this detail to be like the grossest of all the details. Like I think, you know what it is? I think that on some level they were really getting off on the secrecy and like it kind of like being dangling right in front of people's eyes and like us just not knowing about it. And I will say as someone who's done a lot of secret shit, there is like a thrill to secrecy. Now my secrecy didn't involve like breaking up happy homes, but you know, like I've like had little flings with coworkers and like had it secret and just like then like kind of flirted at work. And it's like this thing, right? You just kind of get off on the fact that like no one knows, but we're like dangling right in front of their faces. Like it's fun. It's fun. Um, It's not fun when you're involved in bringing up a happy home. Now, I do want to say I don't think we should come down as hard on Raquel as we should on Tom because Tom is the one who committed to Ariana. And I don't love the fact that like whenever shit like this happens, we always jump to blaming the woman. Now, I do think we jump to blaming the woman because we do tend to hold women in higher esteem than we hold men. Like there is just like an element in us all where we expect men to act like assholes. So that's why we kind of jump to blaming the women. Nevertheless, I think it's really fucked up. Like, I really do think the real villain here is Tom Sandoval, especially because he's also like a good amount older than Raquel. Like, I think he's like at least 10 years older. Like, I think, but I think more than that. Like, I think she's in her mid 20s and he's like 40, which there is a bit of like a gap in development and maturity there and then on top of that I do want to emphasize that Raquel just is not like you know she's not I mean she's not you know she's not getting like a neuroscience PhD anytime soon like she's not she's just she has many talents like she's very pretty and she's just not like the smartest. I'm just going to say she's not like the sharpest, brightest one out there. Um, now is she secretly evil? I don't know. I don't really believe in that. Here's what I do believe in though. 
I think that Raquel has probably a very long history of being a people pleaser and having like codependency issues. I think she has a very long history of putting everyone else's needs before hers. And I think her breakup with James really showed her this, right? And she starts following some of these Instagram accounts that are all about like, oh, people pleasing, let's not be a people pleaser, yada, yada. And she probably goes to some kind of therapist who also hopefully, hopefully goes to some kind of therapist. Hopefully her entire source of therapy isn't via an Instagram account, but who knows? That's constantly telling her to like not be a people pleaser, right? And you know what happens? Sometimes we overcorrect. And I think this is a situation of overcorrecting. So she starts being like, I'm not going to put everyone else's needs before mine. I'm going to put my needs before everyone else's. And here's the thing. You can put your needs before everyone else's, but your need, if your needs involve like recklessly harming other people, that's not a need that you need to put before everyone else's. Like the opposite of people pleasing isn't cheating. The opposite of people pleasing isn't breaking up happy homes. There are ways to prioritize your own needs. Like, yes, your needs should come before other people, but not if your needs are actively harming other people. That's where we should draw the line. And I do think we see this a lot in society where the pendulum constantly swings and it swings too far to one side, right? Like I think we have this with cancel culture. Like people talk about how awful cancel culture is and yeah, it is, but it's an overcorrection for like centuries of us just being so fucking terrible to every single minority group out there. So the pendulum has swung a bit too far and it's going to swing a bit too far in the other direction and it's going to keep doing that until it lands in center. Okay, we're going to move right along to um, the rest of your questions from last week. Um, <laughs> just a bit of a jarring transition, but it is what it is. Okay, how to detach after you're already attached? I love this question and I think this is... Um, this is a question that a lot of people in this community deal with, right? So I have a few things to say on this. Number one, figure out why you're attached. And I don't mean like why you have, uh, you know, maybe anxious attachment or fearful avoidance or like some other type of insecure attachment or anything like that. That's a deeper, broader question. I mean, like very specifically. So like I, what I picture is happening here is like there's someone you've been on a few dates with and you're kind of like a little too obsessed with them. And the reason that you're noticing this is because they're not reciprocating the level that you want, right? Like when we get an anxious and anxious pairing, which in my humble opinion, I think is actually low-key the most toxic of all pairings, but it doesn't get enough attention as being the most toxic. People never recognize that they're unhealthily attached because the other person is reciprocating it. It only comes in our sphere when the other person isn't quite reciprocating it because they have healthy boundaries or like whatever else. But I want you to look at this specific person. What specific traits do you like about them? Let's just start like really, really basic. Like let's say... It's that you guys laugh a lot when you're together or you feel really like free and spontaneous when you're with them or like they have this like kind of zest for life that you find really infectious. Okay, list them all out. How can you embody some of those traits? Like if you're like really fun and spontaneous when you're with this person, then you're really fun and spontaneous in general, right? 
So like, how can you embody that fun and spontaneity without that person there? Like all of the things that you like about this person, you actually already have within you. So I want you to tap in to all of the things that you're getting from this person within yourself because you have them. That's why you're seeing it and liking it in this person. Now, to bring it a little bit bigger, in general, when we're in early stages of dating, we get a lot of like dopamine rushes. So how can you get like that dopamine rush from elsewhere? And um, you really get that from doing like new things. So try doing like new and exciting things by yourself. Try doing new and exciting things with other people. When you find yourself thinking like, okay, like you're so into this person and like you see this like I don't know new exhibit is opening or like a new restaurant or a new bar or like this or that and you think like oh my god I like it would be so fun to go to this with Steve like oh my god I want to do this with Steve oh my god I want to do that with Steve do a lot of those things with other people or even by yourself or whatever beyond that This is a really great time to deepen the connection with yourself and Like when you find yourself like catch yourself fantasizing about this person, like let's say you're cooking dinner and you start like fantasizing like, oh my God, like one day we'll cook dinner together. And like you're going to bed and you're like, oh my God, one day we're going to be like going to bed together and like all these things, right? You're constantly like playing like the first time you do this with this person or like in the future, you're going to be doing this with this person, whatever. Every time you catch yourself doing that fantasizing, replace this person that you're seeing in your head with yourself, which sounds a little bit crazy, but hear me out. Take like a version of yourself. I always like to think of it as like my best self, my highest self. Now this version of myself might be like a year or two older. I don't know. I just like to picture them as being like a lot wiser and like more settled, like this future, like better me who's like done a lot of work on themselves and who wasn't exposed to a lot of the trauma that I was exposed to this like version of me that looks exactly you know like is dressed the way you picture like the best version of yourself dressed and is like just has that energy of the best version of yourself and every time you fantasize um, yourself doing something with this person that you're attached to instead replace it with this version of yourself. I started doing that. So I used to have this thing where like, I, I guess you can surmise that I have like a weird thing about bed, right? I get like anxiety in bed. I sometimes like get like nighttime depression, whatever. And I used to do this thing where when I went to bed, I would like picture like the guy that I was into or like whatever, or like my future, partner who was like faceless and nameless or whatever, just like kind of holding me and comforting me in bed. And then I started doing this thing where I replaced that with this like highest version of myself holding me and comforting me in bed. And that is a moment that like really revolutionized the relationship that I have with myself. So try doing that if you find yourself fantasizing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this does require deeper inner work because the fact that you have become like attached in the first place indicates some kind of attachment wounds. So really figuring out what has happened in your past that made you attach to this person. And I would also look at like beyond just like your general attachment trauma, I would look at like if this person, and this is 
I should preface if the way that you're attached to this person is similar to the way you've been attached to other people in the past, this might be less relevant. But if this is a bit of an outlier experience for you or you find yourself like oscillating all over the place, like with some people you get super attached with other people, not so much, I would maybe look at like what traits about this person remind you of anyone from your childhood because there might be some kind of deeper trauma around that as well. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. Um, Would love an update on the situation. Moving on to another question that I'm obsessed with. I, I will say all of the questions in this episode are really fucking good. Okay. Um, After first dates, I have a hard time knowing if I'm attracted to someone. Girl, same. Been there so many times. Sorry, I won't interject the question anymore. Then if after a few dates I am attracted, I overthink whether I'm settling because I wasn't initially attracted or whether or whether I told myself I wasn't attractive as a defense mechanism. Sorry, I read that weird, but what you wrote makes perfect sense. So after the first, like, okay, after the first date, not initially attracted. And then after a few, a few dates, if you are into them, then you're like, wait, am I into this person because I'm like settling and like forcing myself to be into them just to like be with someone? Or was I actually attracted to them in the beginning and I like didn't even recognize myself being attracted to them as a defense mechanism? Totally got it. Have had all of those lines of thought before. Um, For someone who keeps people at arm's length at at first as a defense mechanism. What is your advice for determining whether your gut is telling you no or whether you need more time to feel it out? Okay. First off, I I literally can feel every word that you said. I've been at every point of this before. Second of all, I just want to say it's very normal and very healthy for attraction to grow. So If you on a first date are not attracted to someone, but then after the fifth date are attracted to them, that's very normal. And actually a lot of people in the psychology field would say that that's healthier than if you were attracted to them on the first date. That being said, I've also been someone who's like tried to force myself into being into someone before. So I completely get the fear that you're verbalizing it, verbalizing. Like I did this heavily with the German, right? On our first date, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like I'll go out with him again. He seems nice. And like at the time, I just really, really wanted a relationship. And I like kept going out with him. And I was like, this is the type of guy I should be into, even though he kind of gave me the ick, but I wasn't acknowledging the ick. I just like kept trying to force myself to be into it. I even to a certain degree think I did this with Van Guy a little bit. So like I totally get it. And I've done it so many times in the past where I've like literally forced myself to be into a guy who seemed like right on paper, right? So I get it. I I get I get like every side that your brain is going. You're like, wait, but this, wait, but that I totally, totally understand. Now, I will say, reading your question, I do get hints of avoidance in you, like avoidant type of behavior. Even if you identify as like anxious or preoccupied attention, uh, (laughs) what's the word? Attachment, not attention. Um, You still could have some elements of avoidance within you. So... (sighs) 
yeah, I do want to like kind of answer the question with acknowledging that avoidance and the general advice for avoidance is to really like feel things out and like not make any rash decisions and keep going and see one person at a time and then at the same time there's this thing with anxiously attached people where like if you date someone who's secure you might not be into them right away so you should give it time feel it out yada yada okay now here's the thing even if you are convincing yourself that you're into it and you're not actually into it and you're settling because like you just want to be in a relationship, yada, yada, yada. Speaking from very personal experience, having done this over and over and over and over again, you can only do it for so long. Eventually, you won't be able to ignore that feeling eventually it'll come right to the surface. And I think my relationship with Van Guy is a very good illustration of that, right? Like I I really like tried to convince myself I was into it. I like ignored all the things that I didn't like, yada, yada. We ended up in a relationship. And then like at that point, I mean, in the beginning, it was fine to kind of ignore the things I didn't like because I just kind of wanted a fling to distract myself from Ozzy because he was back in Australia. And, you know, I just wanted to like not think about him anymore. So in the beginning, it was fine. But then like all of a sudden we're like in a full blown relationship. And then I'm like, holy shit. And eventually I just couldn't ignore the fact that like deep down I knew this wasn't my person right and it took a few months for me to really like acknowledge that to myself and break up with him it was a slow process but I think it's worth going through that process especially since I'm getting hints of avoidance for for you so here's my advice to you I would take out a journal and I would write down everything you're thinking and feeling with every person that you date. And I would maybe make like several columns here. So like you want to write like their name, the date of like when you're writing things down, everything you're thinking and everything that you feel, especially what you're feeling physically in your body, but continue dating them until you know for certain that you don't want to be with them. And it might take a while, but eventually you will know for sure beyond a shadow of doubt when it's a no. So even in this uncertainty, I would continue because what you're going to get is you're going to have a very detailed account of how a no feels for you, especially in your body. And the reason I keep emphasizing the body is because we tend to overthink with our heads. And I think this question beautifully illustrates the ways in which we can go back and forth and be like, wait, but like maybe I just, the attraction grew, but wait, no, maybe I'm settling, but wait, no, maybe I've always been into him and I just like didn't even realize I was into him. Like we overthink in our heads, but our bodies, we don't overthink with our bodies. Our bodies hold real wisdom in them. So if you start writing down everything that you're experiencing, including everything you're experiencing in your body, may, and then like eventually you reach that very certain no, then you can backtrack and be like, okay, what are all the things I was feeling in my body? And then you'll know in the future, like if I get like a weird pain in my left arm, that's a no. Or like, you know what I mean? You'll have a blueprint of how your intuition 
physically manifests for you. And that way, going forward, you'll know how to trust it. But in the meantime, like you're just going to have to kind of like go through this experimentation process and date, date a lot, like and see every situation out till the end because you have time and getting this information about you and the way that your intuition works is so invaluable. So take the time now and go slow and then this will pan out for you in everything that you do in the future. It'll help your career. It'll help every facet of your life because you're going to know exactly how your intuition feels for you. Okay. Hope that's helpful. Would love updates. Yada, yada. Um, I don't say yada, yada to be dismissive. I just like sometimes get stumped for words, but like, I really hope that's helpful. Like would love to hear how this turns out. Okay. Next question. I met a guy on New Year's Eve. He kissed me at midnight. We really hit it off. How cute. Um, Our first date, we spent 12 hours together. We went on a hike, dinner, drinks, the whole nine. I did give in and have sex with him on the third date. He slept over. We cuddled all night. It was really cute. Things seemed to be going really well, but he forgot about our plans this past Saturday and hasn't tried to reschedule or hasn't texted since. My guy friend said that since I put out too, my guy friend said that I put out too quickly. LOL. Do you think that's the case? Would you message the guy? uh, Sorry. Would you message the guy? Like what gives? Do you think he basically lost interest because there's no chase now and he got what he wanted? Okay. Possibly. It's unclear exactly how much time has passed. It's also unclear how his texting history has been. But I do want to address this concept of like putting out too fast. Now, I am not saying that you should sleep with people right away, but I don't think there necessarily is such a thing as putting out too fast. I think that if a guy only wants to bang, then making him wait will never change that. Like if like let's say this guy just wanted to fuck you, right? If you had made him wait 3 months, I think then he would have like whatever gone through the motions and then fucked you and then never talked to you again. And if you'd done it on the first date, same outcome. I don't like if a guy if that's all that a man is like after and if that's all that he's like emotionally capable of, then that's all that's going to happen. Now, the alternative, which I think maybe your guy friend is somewhat alluding to, um, well, there's two alternative scenarios that people talk about. One, like the chase is gone and men are only after the chase. And if you like let go of the chase, then they lose interest. I don't, I don't, I don't, whatever. Or it's that he's like subconsciously, and I think this is what the chase thing is alluding to. I think it's this like highly misogynistic notion that men, whether consciously or subconsciously in the chase scenario, judge women for putting out too quickly. And here's the thing. Any guy who judges a girl for having sex quickly is not worth dating. Sex is not something to give 
or to withhold in order to achieve a desired outcome. So we don't base when we sleep with people based on like, oh, you know, I've made him wait long enough, so now I should do it. Or no, I don't want to do it yet because I want him to keep chasing after me. If that's all that he is after, then no amount of you waiting, no amount of you withholding it is going to change that for someone. Sex is not something to give or to withhold in order to receive a desired outcome. Sex is a physical way to connect with someone, to experience pleasure, to, I don't know, reduce headaches, whatever. The reason that I would advocate waiting to have sex in general, in dating is not so that you can like hook a man first. And this is coming from a bitch who like, I thought that men in general are only ever after sex. And the only way to end up in a long-term relationship with someone is to hold off on sex until they fall in love with you and then have sex with them. And then all is good, right? I used to have this thought and it's archaic and I've done a lot of dating that would negate that experience. The reason that I would advocate waiting to have sex is so that you feel comfortable when you have sex because it's an energy exchange and it's an energy exchange that you shouldn't have when you're not ready, but it's not so that you can first hook this man. Now, as far as like what I reach out, I'm not sure how much time has passed, but if after like a week or so of like not hearing from this person, you're still kind of thinking about it, I would text and just suggest doing something. Um, now the thing that I would suggest doing is like maybe a daytime or early evening activity. And I would have something scheduled for afterwards so that there is no intimacy. And this is not so that you play games, but it's just to protect you because very clearly, I would say you weren't emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually ready to get intimate with this person based on like how things have unfolded. And like I've been there many, many times. I mean, going back to the German, we dated for like over a full month. We went on like 15 dates before I had sex with him. And then like after I did, I didn't really like hear from him as much like similar situation. Like our plans kind of fell through. There wasn't as much communication. And when I tell you I full on lost my mind, full on lost my mind. And no amount of me waiting, I mean, like, it was like 15 fucking dates. That didn't change the fact that he probably always was just trying to get in my pants and that's just the type of person that he is. Um, so, yeah, like, I think you totally can. And if things start picking up with you two again, I would communicate that you need communication after intimacy, yada, yada. Now, if it's been longer than a week or more and he really hasn't like tried to make plans, I would imagine he's not into it unless like some kind of disaster happened in his life. But I would imagine it also has like very little to do with you or the fact that you had sex. Um, It would either be that he's just kind of misogynistic. He was only ever after sex or like maybe has some kind of intimacy or attachment issues. Either way, I would say you dodged a fucking bullet. And I want to say one last time because I think this is so important and like I should just get it tattooed on my forehead. Sex is not something to give or to withhold in order to achieve a desired outcome. 
So I just want to say that. But, you know, given that this question was submitted a while ago, I actually would love an update on the situation. Can you please, please, please write in an update? But my guess is like, if you haven't really heard from this person, he, it probably is not going to go anywhere and you probably dodged a bullet or there was some kind of like massive life crisis going on for him, which he came back and elaborated on, you know? Either way, would love to know what happened. Okay, next question. Once a cheater, always a cheater. I would say not necessarily. And I think there's a huge difference between like cheating once and being a serial cheater, right? Like if there's someone who's just like been unfaithful in every relationship they've ever had, I think there's a very strong likelihood that they would continue to be unfaithful. Um, not necessarily. I mean, people like have aha moments and may change their life paths all the time, right? I know a girl who said that she cheated on every single person she ever dated up until her current husband. Like I, I've seen people like that. I I know people like that. It does exist. Um, To her, the reason she did is because she was young and it didn't seem serious and it didn't seem like it was that deep, right? I, I think with age, things become different. Um, Now, if someone, again, is like cheating all the time, I would say that they probably have like, a looser relationship with telling the truth, with honesty, with regard for other people's feelings. So it makes sense that they would continue to cheat again versus if someone cheats once, there's like so many reasons why people might cheat. And I'm not saying it's ever okay, but like think about the person who's like in a really bad relationship, in a really loveless relationship, in a relationship where they're neglected and they just like don't have like the galls to walk away yet. They haven't done the inner work to really be able to walk away, but they meet someone who treats them really well and they just like it happens or like there are any number of reasons why a person might cheat. I don't think the fact that someone has cheated in the past is dispositive evidence of whether they would cheat in the future, but I think their attitude and relationship towards this infidelity could tell you a lot about whether they would cheat in the future or not, right? Are they regretful? How do they talk about it? How much accountability do they take? Um, again, like how frequent, like things like that, I think matter so much, Um now, I will say I did some research on statistics on this, and apparently once a cheater, three times as likely to cheat again. So, you know, there is that. But what I thought was even more interesting is someone who has been cheated on is four times more likely to be cheated on again. And I think this makes a world of sense because as I talk about all the time, our brains are constantly seeking out things that they're familiar with. So if you've been cheated on once then it would make sense that your brain is like, wow, that was a terrible fucking experience, but this is what I know. And who knows what the fuck I don't know. It could be so much worse than this already terrible experience. So subconsciously you seek out people who are going to cheat on you again. And this is why I constantly talk about doing the subconscious work, because that's how you break the pattern. Obviously on a conscious level, you don't want to find people who are going to cheat on you. That, that goes without saying, but subconsciously, 
your brain is always going to seek it out. Also on the topic of cheating, both cheaters and people who get cheated on tend to have some kind of childhood wounds around cheating. So like there was some kind of infidelity in the home while growing up. It doesn't necessarily have to be as black and white as like one parent cheated on the other. It could just be that you're constantly exposed to people maybe like being one way in the house, but being a different way out in public or whatever it is. You're just around some level of like dishonesty and unfaithfulness in childhood. So again, that's where like the subconscious work, doing that inner child healing, doing that trauma reprocessing comes in so useful. And listen, like if you're dating someone who's like, I've cheated on everyone I've ever dated in the past. And, and you know, uh, my dad cheated on my mom growing up and, you know, I've been doing so much therapy and like EMDR to overcome that. I mean, that's someone who's like really aware of their patterning and like that's, you know, and is doing the work to change it, which I think is like one of the best things that you could ask for. All that being said, if I'm being completely honest, Ozzy has never cheated on anyone and has never been cheated on. And I do really love that about dating him, especially actually the fact that he's never been cheated on because he has a level of trust and faith in me that I appreciate so much as someone who's like dated guys who've like been really jealous in the past. And I just like have a tendency to be very flirtatious, um, like in general, like in a very innocent way. And, and like, I really do not cheat. Like I'm not a cheater at all. Like I don't like, I'm just such like a loyal, faithful person. Um, and most situations in the past where like my exes have been like really irate over the fact that I was like flirtatious, like they had nothing to worry about. Like I was so blindly loyal. Um, so yeah, if I'm being fully honest, like if I met someone who's like done a lot of cheating, would it give me apprehension? Yes. But I would really look at their attitude towards it, what they've learned from it, how they take accountability, how they talk about the experience, things like that, what work they've done since then. Um, those are all much more relevant factors. Okay, coming on to our last question for this um, AMA or whatever Q&A episode. I have a history of being in a lot of passionate, dramatic, hot and cold relationships. Girl, me too. Thanks to you and your work, I've healed a lot of my baggage and I'm now dating a guy who is really secure and things have been really stable. Oh my God, that's so amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Even though I really like him, I sometimes wonder if everything is okay. I get paranoid that maybe he isn't that into it, even though he doesn't do anything that would lead me to believe that. Is it my intuition or is it just lingering attachment wounding? (sighs) Okay, here's the thing. As someone who also has a history of being in a lot of, what did you say, passionate, dramatic, and hot and cold relationships, I completely understand this question. Fighting and making up is constant reassurance. It's also constant dopamine hits. It makes sense that without it, things feel wrong. I would also look at like your family history. Do you have a family history of drama? Was there a lot of fighting in your childhood home? Did you have maybe an unpredictable caretaker, like someone who's like really hot and cold? 
uh, oscillating between being like really angry and not being angry, things like that. Um, it sounds like you're used to a lot of drama. And again, like when you're in a relationship where there's a lot of fight, you fight, you like break up and then you make up and you have that passionate makeup, sex, things like that. You're constantly getting that reassurance and you're constantly like getting that like dopamine hit of the drama, right? And now you're dating someone who's like really stable, really easy. You're not getting that constant reassurance. Like in normal, healthy relationships, you're not just getting constant reassurance that everything is okay the way that you do if you fight and break up and make up. Um, I would do inner child work giving yourself a very stable childhood. So like go into a deep hypnotic state. And if you're enrolled in the academy, which it sounds like you might be, um, oh, actually update like the attachment styles course is going through a massive makeover. You might already notice massive changes. There's even more coming. So go to the section that's like reimagining a new background or something. I don't remember what I called it, but it's after you do all the, like the reprocessing work, that section, there's guided meditations that like, let you visualize a secure childhood. So when you do those guided meditations, visualize a very stable upbringing, a upbringing where your parents were very predictable, very stable, not like that they never had conflict, but when they had conflict, it was really mature, it was really easy. And they resolved that conflict really, really well. Go through that and like give yourself basically what you do when you do that is you're building the neural pathways of someone who actually did have that childhood. Because when we visualize in detail like that, especially in a deep theta brainwave state, which the guided meditations take you to, we our brain experiences it as though it actually happened. So you start to build the neural pathways of someone who's actually used to um, stability and calm and things like that. At the same time, I would communicate all of this with him. I would communicate that the stability sometimes makes you feel uneasy because you're not used to it. And I would maybe set up like a regular, like be like once a week, can we check in on our relationship and make sure everything's okay? So you can get that reassurance that you need and that you deserve while you're doing this deeper work, which will then get you to a place where you won't even need that reassurance anymore. Okay, I hope all this was helpful. Um, really, like really incredible questions. Like I'm blown away by every single one of these questions. I'm also like fucking blown away that you guys listen. Like uh, it makes me so happy to do this podcast and I just love connecting with you guys and I just love you guys so much. So thank you for tuning in every week. Um, let me know what types of things you'd like to hear about on the show. Um, and, you know, if you took something from this episode, A, if you submitted a question, would love an update on your situation. B, if you took something from this episode, would love it if you could just take a few seconds to leave a five-star review, to share this episode with people. Um, you know the drill. Rate, review, subscribe. Okay. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.